0: Love, talk radio.
1: Welcome to Liberty and the Law, the podcast series that examines the critical elements of a strong legal defense in criminal cases. Join respected attorney James Dore for this lively discussion on the rights of criminal defendants and the important role defense attorneys play in our legal system. Boy, so many things in that introduction there uh, for the many times that we've done this podcast. It's always good to rehear that. Uh, Uh, lively discussion. Certainly uh, describes uh, whenever we have James Doerr with us to talk about matters of the court and um, uh, talking about his uh, well-respected career as a criminal defense attorney, and that's why we have him here to join us each month. Hi, everybody. I'm Jim Mitchell, and uh attorney james Dorr of lavelle law we always talk about individual cases right now we're in the middle of a discussion about the court system itself so can we kind of move our way up the ladder and talk about appellate and supreme court today yeah it sounds
0: good jim we'll work our way right up to the top of the system
1: good well last month you shared some thoughts about uh circuit court and the lower court levels how things go through there so we're going to as i mentioned move on from there and the next step Is the uh, appellate court, and we look at both the state and federal uh, courts uh, here. We'll talk about both, but let's just talk about courses or case court cases. Um, Is there any limit as to what can go to an appellate court? Is there uh, any restriction, or can any any case end up there? Um, Basically, any case where they have jurisdiction. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it can be civil
0: or criminal. It can be you know, original jurisdiction in the part of the court, or it could be an appeal heard by either, you know, federal court in the system, lower federal court, or it could come out of a state, you know, high court. So it, there's many avenues to get to, this, to
1: the Supreme Court. And once a, a lower court finding is, is delivered, uh, can, can either side appeal? I mean, is it, can the plaintiff or defendant, uh, whoever feels that they didn't get what the answer they <coughs> wanted, uh, then takes the, the case to the appellate court?
0: Right. Well, let's put it in, in, in terms that you know, I'm, I'm more, most comfortable with, and it's in criminal appeals. So mm-hmm. from let's say there's a lower court uh, verdict here. We're in a circuit court, say, I'll use DuPage County. We're in DuPage County. Um, if the defendant, uh, let's say, wins it at a trial, the, the prosecutor cannot appeal that case on the verdict. But let's say there's an evidentiary decision that takes place, either pre-trial or maybe a, a ruling on evidence during a trial, the prosecutor can appeal those types of decisions. So let's say a lot of times we talk about, Jim, the uh, motions to suppress evidence. I I have a Fourth Mm -hmm. Amendment motion to suppress, um, let's say, some drugs that were found based on an illegal search. If I file a motion to suppress that, and let's say, you know, as a defense attorney, we win, the prosecutor can have, uh, they'll file what's called a certificate of impairment saying that without that evidence, those drugs that were seized, without that evidence, they're going to have a hard time making their, meeting their burden of proof, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt, proving their case. So they can appeal to the next highest court at that level. So here at DuPage, we go to the Second Circuit here in Elgin. And so the, the prosecutors can, the office can appeal certain decisions. But generally, you know, on a fighting of not guilty, they generally won't be appealing that because there's prohibition to, uh, you know, other protections against double jeopardy. Uh, Fifth Amendment in the Constitution provides that. So if the prosecutors can keep, you know, keep going and going until they finally get somebody that's, you know, that's viewed as as somewhat unfair because the the Mm -hmm. state has so many resources as compared to an individual defendant.
1: So uh, that's a great example you gave. If if, uh, the prosecution wants to challenge or appeal uh, a particular ruling as opposed to the verdict, what What happens next is does, do they simply then go if they if they win that appeal, do, do they go back to the circuit court and then retry the case with that evidence included or excluded, whatever the case might be? Right, right,
0: right well and again, it all depends on the relief ordered by the
1: appellate court.
0: Um, in that specific example, they would probably say if the state won, they would say, yes, this evidence is admissible and it should not have been excluded, right It should not have been suppressed. So then it, it, you would go back to the circuit court and retry the case with that evidence that would have been excluded before, mm-hmm. you know, improperly according to the court. Um, and, again, that appellate court, you know, the second district here, we can appeal that up, you know, so let's say the state wins, the defendant can appeal and end up in the Illinois Supreme Court. In that case, depending on who wins, it could go to the Supreme Court, you know, the United States Supreme Court. So these cases can really, you never know where they're going to end sometimes.
1: <laughs> and, and let's talk about your position as a defense attorney. You mentioned then that if there's a verdict against your client uh, that you feel is, is not right, is not just, you can take the, the path through the appellate court. Um, tell me about that situation now. Does the appellate court completely hear the trial again, or do they just evaluate the finding? What's the process at the appellate level? Right and the,
0: the appellate courts are not going to retry cases in fact they make it very clear we 're not here to retry this case um, they won 't replace their judgment for the judge who typically they typically won 't put their judgment in, in instead of the the trial judge who heard the witnesses heard live testimony that trial judge's uh, opinion of witnesses is given a great deal of, of uh, weight in the appellate review so they 're looking at typically at the appellate court not as retrying the case but they 're looking to look at certain legal rulings in that case, like, for example, in the decision whether or not to suppress the evidence, they would be looking at that judge's ruling and the facts that the judge's uh, hands it when he made the decision or he or she and the the legal reasoning and the case law followed in in excluding that evidence. So it will review, you know, that decision. Um, There's certain standards the appellate court will use in reviewing lower court decisions, but they don't typically uh, impose their judgment in lieu of the other judge. They're typically reviewing legal decisions and, and, a- and answering the question of whether or not the law is correctly applied to the facts in that case.
1: And tell me about the outcome then. If, in fact, at the appellate level, the determination is made that perhaps the ruling was not correct or the application of the law or the wrong case law was used, um, What's the next step then for you as, as the defence attorney what what happens to your case now?
0: Right, right, right. I guess I guess that was before we got through the last question was depends on what they rule. Um, typically mm-hmm. let's say um, you know, it depends win or lose for the prosecutor versus the defense attorney. It typically okay. we'd be sent back to the appell- back to the trial court and whatever the appellate court ruled let's say it's an evidentiary decision, they'd say, okay, carry on the trial as if that didn't happen, as if this was admitted in evidence or not admitted, whatever the case may be. So then then you carry on the trial knowing how the appellate court rules on the evidentiary issue. So that's the, the ruling that the judge would follow at the trial court, and you carry forth from that point forward, I guess. So be retried uh, mm-hmm. by the – the prosecutor's not really retried because they, in a pretrial motion, like I said, they file a certificate of impairment. So they're informing everybody that, hey, we can't meet our burden unless we get this evidence into, into you know this admitted in the record. So at that point, they're appealing a pretrial decision. So then you come back to that point pretrial. So you basically go forward, then, okay, at
1: trial, this will happen. Interesting. And um, structurally, uh, and I know we want to get to the Supreme Court here, one, one more on the appellate court, um, whether it's federal or um, state, um when you go to an to appeal, is it, are you in front of one judge? Is there a panel of judges? Uh, how are those cases heard? Right.
0: Uh, well, typically there's a panel of judges. Uh, um, and, again, there's, there's many rules depending on the court and, and how cases get assigned and get placed on their docket. Um, but typically um, there would be a notice filed with the trial court uh, alerting all the parties that you know, we intend to appeal. So it would be a notice of appeal, uh, there would be a record created at the circuit court level so that the circuit court clerk would prepare the record on appeal. So basically, the file that the judge court, the judge had at the trial court level would be transferred to the appellate court so they would have the complete record.
1: Any evidence
0: that I, I wanted the, the, the appellate court to review has to be in that file as it's forwarded. Otherwise, they won't consider it. So you got to check the boxes of how to get this thing properly filed in the appellate court. Um, yeah, but once once that's done, there'll be a briefing schedule assigned. All They want fairness, so both sides can be heard and then address what the other side says, and then they'll get to the point where the full um, appellate district would hear the, the case and decide the case. Okay, sometimes they would allow, typically here at, say, the 2nd District, um, we could demand an oral argument. Sometimes they would allow that and have the parties come in to present oral arguments, and sometimes they would not. They would. They would deem it not being necessary. So, um, Supreme Court level, United States, you typically find that your oral argument on every case. Right? There's, and there's again rules that have to be followed. They have their own procedures, uh, in in how these cases
1: are heard. And and let's talk about the Supreme Court. We're with James Dore of Lavelle Law today on on Liberty of the Law. We're talking about uh, cases and how they work their way through the the uh, various levels of our juror, uh system of of justice um when you talk about the supreme court um am i right that they don't accept every case that you have to sort of present uh and let the supreme court decide if they even want to hear the case you're absolutely
0: right jim in fact they 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 hear a very small percentage of cases that are that are petitioned to the court uh so yeah it's, it's tough to get your case in there unless they have the original jurisdiction um and you want to have some merits uh, to your appeal, um, such that it's a decision that they want to provide some guidance on. So it could be, say, the competing districts in the federal uh, um, circuits. They'll want a, a unified opinion saying, okay, we're going to we're going to rectify this, this disparate treatment in these disparate uh, these different uh, um, districts. Okay, so there could be an overriding public policy reason that the Supreme Court would want to hear something, like, say, an election's involved, a presidential election, right? they want to get involved right away and make a decision. So people aren't just waiting. The country's not waiting for this, right? They want guidance. So they have reasons that they <clears throat> typically uh, uh, use in deciding whether or not to grant certiorari to a case. That means give, uh, sign it to the docket and have, give it a full hearing on the merits.
1: And a couple of minutes left, but w- when something does, in fact, proceed to the Supreme Court, is the process different then in terms of, of how that is handled and the presentation of, uh, of the case to the, to the judges?
0: Well, as you can imagine, the stakes go up. I mean, it's, it's the highest court in the land, um, and, and it's, it's steeped in tradition and uh, protocol. So when you address the Supreme Court, uh, you have to follow the procedures. Typically, both sides get a, a half an hour of oral argument, um, which the Supreme Court justices will quickly use to ask questions and get that uh, practicing lawyer off his game. Right? They will. They typically mm. like to interrupt and, and pose questions, and they get to have a little fun. So, yeah, it's it's, a, it's completely different. I I encourage our audience. You know, this is this is. Free and open, which you can see at the Supreme Court level. and you can, you can get transcripts of hearings. You can follow different things if you're interested in certain subject matters. So you can see how the Supreme Court, what they require in the briefs, in the, you know, amicus curiae, could be filed briefs by people who are not involved in the case. So they'll hear other voices besides just the direct litigants, they'll, especially when there's public policy
1: matters. So. But, the, but but would there be actual witnesses called, or is that all in, in materials that are submitted?
0: Right, that's all in the material. They don't, unless it's one that they have an original jurisdiction over.
1: In that case, yes, mm-hmm. they would call
0: witnesses. But that's a very small, small uh, uh, portion of what they would typically hear. Uh, they um, original jurisdiction would be stuff like disputes between te- you know, states, like Texas is suing Georgia over election. Right, that would go in front of the Supreme mm-hmm. Court. They would have to address that. Or you know, things with ambassadors, I think, is covered under their original jurisdiction.
1: And just to go back to what you said at the beginning before I let you go today, um, just trying to understand now, does a court, a case pretty much stay in its lane along the way? So, as an example, if there's a circuit court and then it goes to the state appellate court, and as an attorney you want to go further, does it then naturally go to the state Supreme Court or would it ever jump over to federal court at some point in that process? It would typically follow,
0: yes. Staying in its lane I think is a good way to, to put it, Jim.
1: You know, federal cases would okay. typically stay in
0: federal cases, and state cases go, you know, from a, um, a a circuit court here to the appellate court, then to the U.S., the Illinois Supreme Court, and then to the U.S. Supreme Court if necessary. So, yeah, it would follow kind of a straight line in, in, in staying in this lane, as you say, Jeff. Uh,
1: Excellent. Well, hey, great conversation today. I really enjoyed this. It uh, went by in a hurry, so I want to thank James Dorr for taking the time to visit with us and share some of this information. And uh, I didn't even get a chance to mention, as always, um, you get a lot more uh, detail and information available from james at com. And uh, phone call is uh, always a great way to get in touch at 847-705-7555. So thanks, James Doerr for being here. And, of course, uh, as we return with Liberty in the Law, we'll always look at uh, current and new cases as well as different aspects of the law, the Constitution, and the court. So uh, we look forward to a good conversation. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.